Would you take your Bibles and turn to the book of Genesis? We're going to be looking at uh, three different chapters that relate to the story of Jacob this morning as we talk about gods of love. We're going to be in Genesis 25 first and then come to Genesis 29 and then a little farther along in chapter 32. I'd like to pray for us as we begin. Father, as we come to this point in our service where we hear from you in your word, it is so important that we be a people that know your word and that put it into practice in our life. Your word is truth. It's given to be a, a light to our path and a lamp to our feet. It's given to show us how to live in a way that pleases and honors you. And so, Father, I pray that we would have... Um, and just good attention this morning, ears to hear what it is you want to say to us today, that we might live in a way that honors you. In Jesus' name, amen. Deep within the heart of every person is a longing to love and to be loved. And it is there because God has made us that way. We are made in the image of God, a God who is love, a God who cares about relationships and who created us so that we could know Him and love Him and love one another. But just like everything else in this world, that longing for love can be distorted and misplaced. It can be misplaced or it can be distorted by unrealistic expectations, for example. I mean, if you think about all the messages that our world sends out about love, um, those have an effect upon us. Uh, we see stories told in movies or on television. We read about romance in books or in, we hear about it in songs that are sung. And it gives us this impression that love is this romantic kind of emotional high. It overcomes all problems and it lives happily ever after. And the result of that is that sometimes people delay getting married because they're looking for that perfect person to marry. Or sometimes people, when they are married, get discouraged because it wasn't what they thought it was going to be. Life isn't lived on this emotional, romantic high. A good marriage takes work. Love is something that is a commitment to one another and to work through those challenges. And sometimes those messages from the world get in the way of us having a good and growing relationship. It can also be affected by disillusionment. Uh, there are some people that have been hurt in the past in their life. They've been uh, in relationships that did not work out the way that they hoped. And they've kind of given up. Maybe you've been divorced. Maybe you are going through a divorce right now. Or maybe you were abused in the past or hurt in some way and you just kind of thought, I'm done. This is it. I, I don't want to pursue this anymore. And you maybe have given up on marriage or relationships. But you still have this longing for love. And that love sometimes can be misplaced or put on wrong things. Christy Brinkley is a name that I'm sure all of us recognize, the former supermodel. She's now 60 years old, and she talked about her own relationships, and she said she has turned sour about marriage and about love. After divorcing her first husband, she married the singer Billy Joel in 1985, 
And she said, at first their marriage was a blast. We literally never stopped singing the whole time we were together. But then they divorced in 1994. She married again, another man, Ricky Taubman, who had been in a helicopter crash with her. And Brinkley said, I even named my perfume after husband number three, Believe, because I still believed in love. But after her third and fourth divorce, Brinkley claimed, I can say now unequivocally that I would never get married again. And if she ever designed another line of perfume based on her feelings of marriage, she has a perfect name for it. Stinks, she said. I would have to call it It Stinks. Now here's somebody who hasn't quite figured out what it takes to make a marriage work. What is it that you base a marriage on? What is it that two people bring to that relationship to make it work? And she's just given up on it. The problem is that we have made an idol out of love. We've made an idol out of love, and there are times when we have expected more out of this human relationship than God intended. God made marriage and human relationships to provide companionship and love, but there is a longing for love that can only be satisfied by God himself. So what do we do? Now, I'm going to share three things this morning from the story of Jacob's life. Number one, we need to stop believing the lies that we've been told about love. We need to stop believing the lies we've been told about love. And many of those lies began in childhood, and they carry over into our adult life. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 25. I want to read part of this chapter, starting at verse 19. It's the story of Jacob's birth. This is the account of Abraham's son Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, from Paddan Aram, and the sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren, and the Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other. The older will serve the younger. And when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. And after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. And he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That's why he was also called Edom. And Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank, and then he got up and left. 
So Esau despised his birthright. We have here an interesting story about Jacob. And Jacob is one of the patriarchs of Israel. You know that they were referred to, or God was often referred to, as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob is the one who would have the 12 sons, who would become the 12 tribes of Israel. and So he's a very prominent figure in the history of Israel. But Jacob grew up in what we might today call a dysfunctional family. Jacob had a twin brother, Esau, and they were always fighting. We get this picture, even from the womb, you know, one grasping the other's heel, or there's this struggle that's going on. And God had said that to Rebekah, that it's going to happen. You have two nations within you that are warring and fighting. And so you can imagine a family where these two brothers were always striving. There's competition. There is deception. There is trying to get ahead of the other. And then the Bible tells us that it didn't help that their parents were divided too. That Isaac loved Esau and Rebekah loved Jacob. In time, Jacob, with the help of his mother, will steal not only Esau's birthright, but also his blessing. And when Esau finds out that his brother has stolen his father's blessing, he is angry. I mean, here he has defrauded him again, he feels like, and so he plots to kill his brother. He's thinking in his mind that after my father dies, I don't want to do this. My dad's old. He's about to die. I don't want to send him to the grave with this grief. But after he's gone, I'm going to kill my brother. And Rebecca hears about it. She tells Jacob to flee to her father's house in Paddan Aram. So here you have Jacob. He's a young man, and he is longing for love. I mean, he feels rejected by his father, who liked his brother more than he, and now his brother hates him, and he can't stay at home, and he's trying to figure out, what am I going to do? And he's got to go to his uncle's place or to Rebecca's father's home, you know, and he's going there, and along the way, he struggles. He's wrestling, longing for love. Today, if you go to the ABF, and I really hope you do, you're going to see a very powerful testimony of a young woman who has this horrible struggle in her life. She is abused as a child, and that abuse will have lifelong consequences for her in terms of how she looks at life. But I'll tell you this, I'm not going to spoil anything, but I'll tell you this, it has a wonderful ending when God in His grace steps into her world. There are people like that in our world, and maybe you have struggled with that too. Maybe there is something in your life that deeply hurt you in the past that became a barrier in your relationship with God. You know the name Madonna, the singer and songwriter. She's now 56 years old, and in her career, she was always pushing the bounds trying to find something more outrageous, more shocking, more irreverent, more sexual to keep her kind of in the front of that uh, singing world or rock world. And you look at someone like that, and sometimes I wonder, where did that begin? Where did that start? What went wrong or what happened in her life that would cause her to be like that? Well, when Madonna was five years old, her mother died. And she said, my mother's death was just a big mystery to me when I was a child and no one really explained it. And she said, my mom was really religious. 
So I never understood why she was taken from us. It just seemed so unfair. And what happens or can happen at a time like that, if nobody else steps in to help a child with their feelings and their thoughts, is that Satan comes along. And Satan says these lies like, you know, God's not good. You're right, that wasn't fair. God's not fair. You can't trust Him. God doesn't love you. And people begin to hear those lies and they internalize it and then they begin to act on it and they live this rebellious or outrageous life kind of angry at everybody or trying to push the world away. And yet there's still this longing for love and acceptance. And people try to fill that longing in several different ways. It's why we need to stop believing the lies that we've been told. And secondly, don't expect others to do what only God can do. Turn to chapter 29. I want to pick up the story in verse 15. Jacob has gone to uh, Rebekah's father's house, and there he meets his brother, I mean his uncle, Laban, and he begins to work for him. In chapter 29, around verse 15, it said, After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, Just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older one was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. I'm going to stop there. Two sisters, okay, Leah. When it says she had weak eyes, that's a little bit puzzling to us on the phrase. Did it mean that she had a lazy eye? Did it mean she had um, some kind of a vision problem or something? We're not 100% sure because it's a rare term that's used here. But when you see the contrast to her sister who is described as lovely in form and beautiful obviously there was something that Leah was maybe the more homely one Rebecca's the one who I mean excuse me Rachel is the one who is just beautiful and attractive and so Jacob sees her and and he falls in love with her Jacob was in love with Rachel and he said I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter Rachel And Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seem like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Now think about that. All right, here you have Jacob. When he sees Rachel, he's immediately attracted to her. It's love at first sight. And how much did he love her? Well, he was willing to pay any price for her. When he says to Laban that I'll work for you for seven years, that is an exorbitant price for a bride, if you will, in their culture. I mean, that's way beyond four, five, six times more than what would normally be given or expected in this situation. And so he works for her for seven years, and it seems like only a few days to him. Now, there's a description of romantic love, isn't it? I mean, just, you know, all this time, and it was just like a couple days. And he has these unrealistic expectations that are way too high. He has looked at Rachel, and he has thought in his mind that here is the woman who's going to remove all of my pain, who's going to fill the needs of my life, who's going to meet all of my needs. She is the one. 
And he is setting upon her these unrealistic expectations. Not only that, but when you come to verse 21, that after the seven years were done, then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife, my time is completed, and I want to lie with her. That phrase, I want to lie with her, is just a nice way of saying that I want to have sex with her. I mean, you know, think about that. Guys, try saying that to your father-in-law before you're going to get married. You know, that I want your daughter and I want to have sex with her. I wouldn't advise it. I mean, it's really bold in the way that this is being stated here. And Jacob, it's just, he's bringing into this relationship all kinds of unrealistic expectations. Well, what happens to him? Well, Laban deceives Jacob. And you go farther down, verse 22, so Laban brought together all the people to the place and of the place and he gave a feast but when evening came he took his daughter Leah and he gave her Jacob and Jacob lay with her and Laban gave his servant girl Zilpah to his daughter as her maidservant when morning came there was Leah so Jacob said to Laban what is this you have done to me I served you for Rachel didn't I why have you deceived me And Laban replied, it's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, and then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant girl Billah to his daughter Rachel as her maidservant. Jacob lay with Rachel also. And he loved Rachel more than Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. Wow. Laban deceived Jacob. I see a family trait here. Rebecca, Laban's sister, had helped Jacob to deceive Isaac. Jacob had been doing this all his life. He kind of grew up. He's known as a schemer. He's known as a guy who's a deceiver, a guy who will do anything to get ahead, if you will, because that's kind of the family system that he is growing up in. And so now Laban did it to him. He gave him his oldest daughter Leah as his bride, and it wasn't until the next morning when he realized what had happened. And Jacob must work another seven years for Rachel. And now you have three wounded people. You have Leah, who is married but unloved. You have Rachel, who is loved but more for her beauty than for her person. And she will be barren for a long time. And Leah and Rachel will be rivals for Jacob's affection. Now you have this situation where two sisters are married to the same man. I mean, the Bible is not condoning this. It is reporting what happened. It's showing life with all of its sinfulness and the struggles that go on in this world. And thirdly, you have Jacob, who is still looking for love. Rachel couldn't meet all of Jacob's needs. No one can. No one but God. Tim Keller, pastor, made an interesting comment on this passage. 
He said, we learn from this story that through all of life there runs a note of cosmic disappointment. And you will never lead a wise life until you understand that. It means that no matter what we put our hopes in, in the morning, it is always Leah and never Rachel. No matter what we set our hope on in this life, it is never perfect, is it? You know, the, the job is never perfect. The marriage is never perfect. You know, the church is never perfect. I mean, there are things in this life that we kind of think like, if I just had this, I'd be happy. Or if this just went my way, then I'd be happy. Or if I could, and you can fill in the blank on what it is, if, and then I'll be happy, or then I'll be complete and satisfied. And it's never perfect in this life, is it? There's always toil. There's always some struggle. There's always some disappointment. And we are never going to be happy in this world until we understand that. That doesn't mean that we just settle for things as they are in a fallen world. No, we work to make our marriage the best it can be. We work to make our job the best we can be. We bring Christ to the workplace. But if we're looking for the things of this world to satisfy all our needs... We're going to be disappointed. C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity that most people, if they have really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want, and they want something acutely that can't be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love or first think of some foreign country to travel to or first take up some subject that excites us are longings that no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. And he said, I'm not now talking of what would ordinarily be called unsuccessful marriages or holidays or learned careers. I'm speaking of the best possible ones. Even the best possible ones have some disappointments in them. And I think everyone knows what I mean. The wife may be a good wife. The hotels and scenery may have been excellent. The chemistry may be a very interesting job. But something has evaded us. And he concluded by saying, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Laura Story, the Christian songwriter in her song Blessing, said it like this. What if my greatest disappointments or the aching of this life is the revealing of a greater thirst this world can't satisfy? All of these artists were observing something that is true about this life. It never quite is perfect it never quite satisfies the way we think it will so what do you do when you realize this well you can blame the thing that disappointed you you can blame your husband or wife and then kind of move on and think if i had just had a different husband or wife that's gonna make it different that's the path of idolatry and addiction You can beat yourself up and say, I'm a failure, somehow I failed and I just deserve this. That would be wrong too. 
You can blame the world and you can get angry at the opposite sex or you can get angry at your boss or you can get angry at, you know, the other people or even angry at God. Or you can turn your eyes to God and you can set your heart on Him and let Him satisfy the longing in your soul. You see, only God can satisfy the deepest longing of her heart. The breakthrough came for Leah when she began to call upon the Lord. Later in this chapter, in verse 32, when she has a son, and she begins to call upon the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel. Jacob's breakthrough is going to come in chapter 32 when he faces his fears, and he wrestles with God. Time's come for him to go back. He's afraid of meeting Esau again. What's going to happen? Will God protect him? How's this going to go? And in chapter 32, beginning at verse 22, let me read part of that. He's on his way back, and that night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, his 11 sons, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok, and after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered, and then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. And Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. And the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites did not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Here's a story of Jacob on his way back. And he comes to this point where he sends his family ahead and he is alone and he wrestles with this man, with this man of God. God has come, and he has wrestled with the Lord, and he's, you know, it's, it's a picture of how in prayer sometimes when we struggle with things in our life, there are times when we just need to go to our knees. And we pour out our frustration, we pour out our hurts, our disappointments, our anger, whatever it may be, and we wrestle with the Lord. And if we can break through that and God speaks to us and we hear his voice that I love you, I care about you, I see your needs, I understand, will you trust me? Then God steps in and he works. Jacob and Leah would have a son named Judah. And through his line, the Messiah would come through the line of Judah. Through the girl that nobody wanted, through the woman that was unloved, through Leah, this child would be born. And it would be through the man who was longing for love. Through these hurting, wounded people, God would work. And it is by grace 
It's the way that God always works. He takes weak, broken people like you and me who have all of our baggage, all of the stuff in our life, and by His grace, He can bring something out of that that's good. That, that is amazing. I mean, but that's the story of the Bible. The story isn't here to look at Jacob's life and then to kind of follow his example and try to pick out what was good or what was bad and have some sort of moral lesson. The story here is about God, about a God who is so gracious, so merciful and forgiving that he can take our messed up lives and he can bring something good out of it if we will give it to him. Only he can satisfy the deepest longing of our heart. In an article that was written by Lee Strobel that was called, What Would Jesus Say to Madonna? He shared how Madonna struggled with her self-worth all through her life. She always felt like she had to prove herself, that she was never quite good enough, that she never tried measure up, and that led her to choices where she was trying to do something more and more outrageous every year to maintain interest and prove her worth. And Lee Strobel said, imagine what would happen if she came to an accurate understanding of who God is. It would change her life. It would settle her self-worth once and for all, to know that Jesus loved her and that to Jesus she already is somebody. And so are you. And like the loving father of the prodigal son, Jesus is frantically scanning the horizon. He's looking for his children. He wants us to return to him. He would want Madonna to come to him. And he is absolutely convinced that she's so valuable that she's worth dying for and that's what he did for her on the cross, just like he did for you and me. Lee Strobel said, I think Jesus would tell her that I understand what happens when I'm missing from the core of a person's life. I understand how you feel compelled to search elsewhere for significance, affirmation, acceptance, self-worth, fulfillment, and love. That search is taking you to some dangerous and destructive places and you still haven't found what you're looking for. You feel frustrated because the only thing that can satisfy the center of your soul is me. The only thing that can satisfy is me. What are the lies that you were told about love and how did they affect you? Have they affected your view of what marriage is? Have they affected your view of what you think a relationship should be like? Are you still searching? Or have you found the love and acceptance that you were seeking in a relationship with Jesus Christ? It is His love that sets us free to love others as He intends. It's His mercy, it's His love in our life that enables us to love one another in spite of our sin. In spite of disappointments that may come along and because He has shown us grace, we can show grace to our husband, to our wife. We can show grace to our children, to our co-workers, to others that God brings in our world. That's the way it should be. Don't make an idol out of love and think that the problem is the people or the problem's somebody else or the problem is with your work or whatever it may be. 
If we have an idol in our life, the way to deal with it is to confess it to God as sin and to turn to him. The Puritans taught that the only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection, an idol, is by the expulsive power of a new one. The only way that you're going to remove the idols from your life or I'm going to remove them from my life is not by trying harder. It's not by self-will. It's by a deep and growing relationship with God. Getting to know Jesus Christ. Understanding how much He loves us. And setting our heart on following Him. Let's pray. Father, as we think about what happened in Jacob's life, it is just so sad, but it's also so real. And Lord, you know our heart, our life. You know what happened in our childhood. Or maybe there were wounds or maybe there were lies that we began to believe. And because of that, we've made choices along the way that were bad or we have struggled with sin in certain areas of life. And Father, today, we confess that to you as sin. And we ask for your forgiveness. We ask for your healing power. We ask that Jesus would become so great in our life that our affection for him would grow more and more. And that, Jesus, you would satisfy the longing in our heart and help us to love others just like you love us. That's our desire. Would you make it so? Amen.